0: Some say our generation is disconnected. We don't have passion or vision for our lives. But that's not how we see it. We are always finding new ways to make memories, to build friendships, to worship. to grow, to be ourselves. Camp was an incredible transforming experience for so many of us, but it was not the end. Things
1: are just getting started. Camp was crazy awesome. Uh, You got to see some of the worship and some of the games and that kind of thing that we're playing. Uh, It was a ton, a ton of fun. It was so amazing to see how the Holy Spirit was moving Um, and just kind of all the craziness, all the stuff that happens, like we talked about leading up to camp, all of the things that happen when you create an opportunity and create space for students to just get outside of the norm. Um, and by outside of the norm, like, that's really like way outside of the norm. I don't know if it made it into the video, but there was one point where there's a giant octopus flying through the air. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's on, it's on Facebook if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's, it's pretty epic. Uh, but all the craziness, all the fun, the games, the prizes, the, the stuff, like, all that is just, like, it's just part of it, right? It's just a way to, to again, kind of break down walls and, and create a space for, for people to be comfortable. Uh, what it's really about Is having the Holy Spirit work in kids' lives, right? Work in students' lives, work in young people's lives, and to help them see, like, in this season of where they're at from transitioning from, you know, they're they're maybe have grown up in church and their faith kind of being all about information and, and their parents and that kind of thing, and transitioning that into their faith becoming their own. And so, one of my favorite. Not even one of my favorite. My favorite part of tag camp every year is on the last morning, we always do like in kind of unplugged acoustic worship, and then we tell stories of what's happened over the four days of camp. Uh, and it's my favorite because it's all, it's all students. It's all middle and high school students just telling how Jesus has been at work and all the different things that are going on in their world. Uh, and so we wanted to do that this morning. So we're going to have a couple of students come up and share here and uh, just kind of what God did in them. So if you can help me welcome back up Sheldon Walker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bro, no. Nope, not on. Is it on? Nope, I don't know. I don't know. Try again. Oh, yeah, there oh, yeah, we go. <laughs> oh. Woo, yeah! All right. All right, so, so talk to us, Sheldon. What, what's, what's going on? What was, what was camp like
2: about? What happened in you? Um, so I've been to like, is this on, so? Yeah, it's okay. on. You're just gonna. I've been to like 14 retreats in my life, and I've always had the biggest fear at every one of them—that's that I would like get seriously injured or get really sick. And that finally happened. <laughs> <laughs> I got really sick the first night, and it kind of like started. Like it was really hard to really dig in and worship or listen to anything because I was sick, and I it just kind of sucked. So I ended up leaving at one point and going and resting, but. God kind of spoke through me during those times being like, I'm here, I'm not here to go and do stuff for myself, because a lot of times we go into these tag camps being like, hey, I want cool stuff to happen to me, mm. but uh, God kind of spoke to me and was like, nah, you're that, that's not right. <laughs> he was, um, like, I, 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 he started to give me the heart for me being there not for myself, but for him, because that's what the point of worship is it's for you to give everything to him and for you to worship him and then through that cool things will happen but that's what he really spoke to me and then through my sickness it was kind of like me just even though i'm sick just going and worshiping him because that's what really matters and then generally you hear about these really cool stories that happened the other like the first couple nights and all these really cool things happen i didn't really have that because i was sick <laughs> and i was and god really just wanted to like pull that into me being like i'm not here for anything cool to happen to me, and I'm here for that. And then the last night, that, that's always, like, the big, like, mountaintop experience that you always hear about. And it was so cool just seeing everybody just pour their lives out. Like, one of my best friends, he, as he lovingly put it, he got holy-spirited. Um, <laughs> he was down on the floor, like, spazzing out, screaming in <laughs> tongues for, like, 30 minutes. That was awesome. And then Ross's son, um, he was nonstop laughing for like two hours and I've like <laughs> never seen stuff like that and that was something leading up to tag camp I would always like pray for cool things like that to happen because that's always the, one of the coolest things that's one of the, always one of the coolest memories so even though I was like extremely like not enjoying my time there <laughs> I, I, I knew that it wasn't about me I knew that it wasn't about me having fun I knew it wasn't about me any of that stuff I knew it was about just pushing in and just giving it all to God and worshiping God, because that's what really mattered, and that's probably one of the be- best lessons I've ever learned and one of the things I'll take away from my life. That I have, like It's one of the things that I will keep for the rest of my life. And that's one of the things that I will probably, like this tag camp, even though it was not one of my most fun ones, it was probably one of the ones I'll look back on and remember the most because of that memory and because now... Every time I go into worship, it's not going to be for anything that I want, for anything that I want to gain from it. It's just to give it all to God, because that's what—that's what I want from that. It's good. It's good.
1: Man, I love that. Uh, We're—we're going to do another one. So I want to have Cat Montgomery if she could come up. Welcome her up.
0: share a couple of things uh, that did happen to me at tag camp and so the overall theme was unbound so to really break away from those chains and on the first night you know you think you're going to go in there and it's just going to be pretty laid back but it never is it's uh, <laughs> it's always full force holy spirit just filling people and it just it goes off with a bang um, so the first night I didn't really know that I needed to forgive a certain person in my life um, but it was like God was telling me, you know, you need to forgive that person, you need to and I was just like, Well how do I do that? And I was saying like, I can't, I can't and so I went and prayed and the leader who I prayed with were like, You keep saying you can't, but you can and it's because I think God always has to be in that forgiveness. You can't just forgive someone on your own. You always have to have God with you. Um, so I ended up forgiving the person and it was a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be. Um, but it, it did break that chain that I've been really held on to me for a long time and I actually uh, Um, I actually got a word from someone else that God's still with you in the circumstances that you're in and that he's right by your side and um, I broke down solving but it was just it was what I needed to hear I needed to hear that God was right there with me and then the other thing was uh, Pastor Brent I believe was talking about logos and um He was just saying, like, you know, what's your logo? What does God have for you? And so I was just thinking, and I came back just time and time again. It was my hands. And kind of to give a little story behind it is that a couple years ago, a minister from Africa had uh, prayed for me, and uh, he had prayed for my hands. And what was interesting about it is that me and my parents were getting barbecue at the time, and uh, my mom had gone over there thinking that she was going to pray for him, and instead he said, let me pray for your daughter. And uh, this is important to me, and it just reestablishes, you know, that my purpose is to go and heal others with my hands, that I'm going to be able to touch people and nations, and that they're going to be able to um, be healed (laughs) and um, be restored and in God's light. Um, Because I want to be a reconstructive surgeon. I want to go and help people. And so it's just that continuous thought that, you know, don't waste the gift that I've given you. And... Push on for it, and just keep going and grow in his light. So, yeah, that's that's what I got from the tag camp. It's
1: amazing. Awesome. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, yeah. So, so as you can see, like that is why that last morning is my favorite morning, because uh, I could really do that all morning long on that last day, but we have to get kids home and all that, so uh, they're pretty wiped. So, all right, let's dive in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, uh, and then and we're gonna study the scriptures, all right? So, Jesus, we love you, and we love the people that are in this room, and we know that you love them. So, Father, would you come, and would you, would you speak through me this morning, help me to say what you want people to hear, not just what I want to say, Father, we love you, we trust you, and we give this morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey, so really quick. If you may have noticed, on the seats, in, not in front of you, but on your seats and on the name tag tables, uh, there's this little paper. It's, it says Happy Graham on the front. Do you guys have that? You want to hold those up real quick? All kinds of like bright colors and that kind of thing. So this is a camp tradition that we've done for years and years and years. Uh, and you might have seen it in the, in the video. We, we make an envelope for every single person who's at camp, all of the students, all of the leaders, like band, like everyone has an envelope that's up on the wall. And we have a table with thousands of these slips of paper, these happy grams on them, right? And so all throughout camp for four days at random times, people are just sitting around that table and they're using those to write encouraging notes, right, to people. And then so you write a note. Maybe it's something that that you saw somebody do, something that uh, somebody did for you or the way that someone was worshiping that really inspired or encouraged you or um, or like someone that really dominated at throwing the octopus all the way down the field, like uh, whatever. So all weekend long, like the whole camp, we're writing these encouraging notes and putting them in envelopes. And then on the last morning, we give all the envelopes back, and uh, they, you know everyone reads them on the way home, and then they fall asleep on the ride home um, because that's how it works. So so what I want to do this morning is I want you to take those ha- that one of, at least one of those happy grams, uh, and I want you to just write an encouraging note to someone right? It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be uh, like a, a young person. It doesn't have to be a middle schooler or a high schooler, but I want you to take that, and I want you to just write an encouraging note, and then sometime after service, uh, before you leave, if you just want to hand that note to them, like it's amazing how far that goes, just that small, you know, gesture of encouragement. Um, and if you want to do like, if you want to do a bunch of them, there's a whole bunch out there on the tables. Uh, you're more than welcome. So, Since it's Tag Sunday, it's pretty apropos that we kind of talk about, like, next generation and kind of the things that are happening and and what God is doing, and so, so I have a question. I want to ask, what comes to mind when you think of the next generation, right? When you think of, you know, if you look at, like, kind of the people that are in this room, a lot of people, you'd say, like, okay, what is the next generation? Well, it's the millennials, which is usually immediately followed by, ugh. Millennials, like, what's happening? Like, so what are the things that come to mind? You know, and in my experience, a lot of the things that people say about millennials is really negative, right? It's, like, poor work ethic, like, we're not really sure about, like, their morality or what they're doing, habits and lifestyle, social media, like, you know, maybe they're entitled or feel like, you know, the world should be given to them, that kind of thing. Uh, Not to mention what's happening to the English language. (laughs) Um... So, so, you know, Webster, like they add words to the dictionary every year. Do you know this? And words, interestingly enough, like get added to or updated in the dictionary based on usage. So, for example, just this past year, actually a couple of months ago, the word literally now has the definition of figuratively. Did you know this? (laughs) It literally does. Now, it's up to you to figure out whether I'm saying that it actually is or whether I'm being figurative, but. No, it's re- it's really in there. They updated. It. It's figurative, uh, and then you get like all kinds of uh, all kinds of interesting words, right? Um, one that just got added was nothing burger. Like, what? I've never heard this, uh, but I have a feeling that I'm about to start it. Um, nothing burger. It's just like like something that was supposed to be a big deal and then turned out to be like super lame. Like, ah, uh, that was a big nothing burger. Like that movie, nothing burger. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, and then, then you have some awesome words that come out of it. So I discovered that just added to the Webster Dictionary was the word napetite. <laughs> yes, it is what you think it is. It's an extreme desire to sleep. <laughs> I've got a mad napetite. A bunch of you guys have a mad appetite right now and can't <laughs> wait to be done. Uh, so it's all like, what is happening to the English language? But let's jump back like 20 years, okay? If you go back 20 years... You know what? One of the words added to the dictionary 20 years ago was "Nerdistan." Nerdistan. It's like it's the place where all of like the computer people live. They live in Nerdistan. You go back 30 years, Monobrow. <laughs> was that really that big of a problem in the 80s? Like, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, and then you, you go back further into in the 70s, Wedgie. <laughs> Thanks, 70s. <laughs> Forever plaguing middle schoolers for the <laughs> decades to come, right? And so, so like all this stuff. So every generation kind of has it, right? Every generation has like this bit of uh, has this bit of like, oh, the next generation, like they're just coming and they're messing things up. And if we could just get back to the way things were, you know. And, and a lot of people kind of forget. George Orwell says every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one w- that went before it, and wiser than the one comes that comes after it. And so I feel like there's a lot of times that we, you know, like as, you know, I, I just turned 30 a few months ago. Um, yeah, big 3-0. Uh, so anyways, we have a tendency to do the same. We have a tendency to forget what it was like. So I, I have a picture here that I want to kind of do like a quick throwback. Uh, so we have this, this picture of, see, there's me. I forgot what it was like. That's me and my sister, my older sister. Major gap there, you know, right? So we forget Uh, We have another one. There's another picture of what it was like. Oh. Man. Pastor Russ. I love it. I love that shirt. All right, here, let's put that away before someone else gets a picture of it. I, I promise I won't share that. But I bet you know where I got it. So, so we forget, right? We forget what it's like to be in that generation and to have a generation that's older than us that's kind of like, oh, you're just messing things up and the pressure. And it's like, no, like I got this. Like there's, there's all these things that are happening. And so I remember, I'll never forget. I was talking with a guy. Uh, this was several months ago. And we were talking and uh, he's, he's much older than me. He's probably in his 60s or 70s or something like that. Uh, and there was someone else at the table, I don't remember who, and we're talking and we're like, okay, so, so like millennials, and this other person is kind of like, oh, millennials, and this guy, his name was also Alan, um, so it's cool. So, so this guy, Alan, is his name, and he's like, you know, every generation kind of has their thing. Like, sure, like millennials, like they have their phones and they're kind of absorbed in it, but with my generation, it was, the, it was just the phone. Like, you get home, you pick up the phone, and you're calling people, or you get to work, and you pick up the phone, and you're doing this. He's like, generation before that, it was a newspaper. Like, you just always got your nose buried in a newspaper. And so he's, he kind of is making this point that every generation has that. There's actually a term for it called juvenoia, um, which is interesting, like a fear of juveniles, but um, happens, <laughs> happens sometimes. <laughs> but as he was saying that, you know, I realized that that it's actually a passing of a baton, right? So many times we get focused on like, oh, like generations are so different and and I just have to get all this stuff. And it's a passing of the baton. But a lot of times we end up trying to beat people with the baton (laughs) instead of pass it off to them, right? it's like, no, like this is how you have to do it. This is my baton and you need to take it and and all this. One of the interesting things about running a, a race where you're passing this baton off is there's actually a point where you have to run together right? Like, you can't just be, like, standing here, like, all right, I guess, like, I'm too tired to run now, like, just take it, right? You have to run together, and you pass it off, and then they take it, and they run with it. And so that's, that's kind of what I want this to be. So I think, here's what I believe. I believe that generations should be uniting points and not dividing lines, yes. right? It's, a, it's such a huge opportunity. Acts 13.36 says that David served God's purpose in his own generation, and we, we use this verse a lot with students, a lot around tag and saying, like, you have a purpose in your generation, and to, and to fulfill that, you need to serve God. Now, when you look at David and him fulfilling his purpose in, in, uh, in his generation, it fulfilling God's purpose in his own generation, do you think that David only served people that were within a 10- to 15-year age range of himself? No, he's a king, right? And so he has influence over this entire kingdom, and so... So that's part of it. So what if what if we re- redefined what generation means? Instead of defining it by a range of years that you're born in, what if your generation starts the moment that you're born and it ends the moment that you die? And so what if you're serving God's purpose for that entire time, right? For those 60, 70, 80, 90 years, like all that time is your generation that you're serving. And I think that when it comes down to generations, That the mark of a generation should be how we unite the past with the future. Right? It's not really about the attributes or the things that society ascribes to, like, oh, well, this generation is is, entitled. And there's like the most recent generation just started around like 2010, and people are saying, like, oh, well, they're materialistic. I'm like, they're three years old. Like, (laughs) like, how do you know that? Every three-year-old is materialistic. What are you talking about? Right? So it's not about what it's not about the traits that they ascribe to you, but it's about what you're handing over, what you're passing on to that next generation. I know that, that this one actually kind of hit me between the eyes a couple of years ago. So I am technically a millennial, right? I'm kind of on like the upper end of the of the millennial, you know, age range if we're going to define it that way. And <clears throat> but I don't know. I don't, I don't most of the stereotypes of millennials don't really apply to me except for the beard maybe. Um, <laughs> But I have to keep it, otherwise I look like I'm 12. Um, and so, uh, but they, like, they just don't quite fit, you know? Like, uh, and I've had a lot of people kind of tell me this. And so I'm like, well, fine, I'm not a millennial. Like, I'm just, I just don't, I'm not going to participate with that. I don't really, like, that doesn't sync up with me. And then uh, a really good friend of mine told me, he's like, no, like, you are a millennial. Like, that's us. That is our generation. And so I had this moment of conviction that I am my generation just like all of you are your generation. And so if I'm my generation, then I started thinking like, okay, there's all these people in my generation. And if I don't participate with them, then who will? right? If all these things are kind of being cast on millennials as as these stereotypes and that kind of thing, then, then if I don't participate with them, then who's going to? And not just if I don't participate with them, who will? But if I don't share with them, who will? If I don't pray with them, who will? If I don't worship with them, then who will? If I don't dig in the mud of life and the things that are difficult and what's going on in their world with them, then who will? And so, so on the notes, like those blanks are there for a reason. That If I don't blank with them, then who will? Because they're going to need someone to do that. They're going to be in the middle of those. And if we're not coming alongside them, then who's going to do it? And especially if you look at this with this de- definition of generation as from the moment you're born to the moment that you die, then we should be doing that with each other, like across this room. Like we're just doing up here in worship, right? Like you see all kinds of people, all different ages that are up here that are worshiping together. That's what I'm talking about. I want to tell the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Whoops. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So take a look at this picture, right? This is the only account that we have of Jesus in scripture as a preteen, right? As a young person, uh, roughly 12-ish years old. Um, And imagine, like, put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. Like, you lost God. (laughs) I mean, like, you've got one job on this ship. Like, and you lost him, and he's gone. And he's not just like, like, oh, like, oh, he's like two aisles over in H E B. Like, no, he's like, he's like gone for three days. Like, they can't find him. And so, so now, before we get too hard on Mary and Joseph, like, it is po- quite possible that they were traveling separately. You know, like all the men together and all the women together. And so, uh, it's kind of like that moment where it's like Dad thinks like, oh, well, they must be with Mom. And Mom's like, oh, well, they must be with Dad. And uh, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Uh, and so, so don't judge them too hard, but, but imagine the, pan, the panic that they were in, right? Now, that's the part of the story that we usually focus on is that panic moment, or, or the, maybe it's the fact that Jesus was like amazing people with, uh, with his wisdom and insight into scriptures and all this at, at 12 years old. But where did he sleep? I mean, he's gone for three days, right? So, 12 year old Jesus, gone for three days, where did he sleep? What did he eat? And that's a big deal. Like, if you ever fed a 12-year-old boy? Like, you know, like, he ate somewhere, something. And so, so as he's lost, and then Mary and Joseph show up, and here's Jesus totally fine, like, like unpacking scriptures and showing people what it means and, and being God, right? And so all this, what we fail to realize most of the time is that the community proactively took care of him, right? Like, they show up. And there's Jesus. And he's fine. He's healthy. He's whole. Like, he probably didn't shower, but that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> and so, but the community stepped in. They saw a need of the, of the next generation, and they took care of him. And they made sure he was okay. And then Jesus' parents showed up, and they took him home, and, and all was well and good. Now, I do think this looks a bit differently in church today, because I really believe that if, if a 12-year-old boy like, showed up on our doorstep, no parents, totally lost, like I don't have a doubt in my mind that we would take him in and make sure he had food and would help him get to back home and that kind of thing. But we have young people walking in these doors every Sunday or even still not walking in these doors every Sunday. And are we taking care of them? Right? Do they feel known? Are we welcoming them? Are we pulling them in and saying like, hey, come sit with me. Like I've got a seat. Like let's go worship. Let's go stand up front. Let's do that. And, not just, and I'm not talking about just middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? I'm talking about all kinds of young people, young adults, people, of, uh, people that are single, right? Any kind of different ethnicity, new people to the community, people that just moved here and don't know anybody. Like, are we proactively bringing those people in? Is the community bringing those people in? See, it's easy for young people to feel segregated from the life of the church because they, a lot of times they get sent to the kids' table. It's more convenient for the adults. Uh, it's, more, it's just easier, like it, they don't disrupt the flow of a, of a nice service and how everything is supposed to go and all this. Uh, but the problem is, is that really we're giving in to consumerism to try to give everybody what they want. And so instead of that, we need to learn to grow young. We need to welcome the next generation to the family table, right? Instead of having an adult's table and a kid's table, we need to welcome them to the family table. Fuller Youth Institute did a bunch of research uh, with people ages 15 to 29 to find out kind of like what they're looking for when it comes to a church uh, and what churches are doing to grow young, right? Uh, and one of the things that they look for is some of them is a church that will welcome them to the table as a whole. And it's interesting, we tend to think like, oh, young people want a cool church. They want the upbeat music. They want all the newest songs that are on all the latest records. And this is what they want. They want something with big lights and uh, skinny jeans or, or whatever. When in reality, like, young people aren't looking for a cool church. They're looking for a warm church, right? A church that says you belong here. A church that's willing to accept people where they are. And a church that will authentically walk with them into adulthood with God's grace. You know, in the, in the research that the Fuller Institute did, uh, one of the most common descriptors that young people used to describe churches that they felt most connected with was that it felt like family. Now, it all sounds well and good, but it's messy, right? Kids are loud, teenagers are crazy, like they throw octopus around, they jump up and down during worship, and so it's messy, it's different. They use words like nothing burger and appetite. I mean, like, come on. (laughs) And here's the thing, one chapel has been great about this, but it's not by accident. You know, like, I'll never forget when we first moved down here from Colorado, Jacob, our our oldest son, was five years old, and he's standing in the lobby of church talking with Larry Foster. If you guys know Larry, he's like 60-something years old. Uh, and there's Jacob, five-year-old Jacob, six-year-old Larry, just carrying on a conversation like nobody's business. I'm like, I can't even carry on a conversation this good. Now, if you know Jacob, that's just kind of who he is. But, um, but it doesn't stop there, right? Uh, when, during worship rehearsal, like at a tag night, there's five-year-old, six-year-old Caleb up on stage. And instead of, like, people booting him off the stage, they're handing him a mic and saying, like, hey, join us. You know, have fun. Have, participate. We've got some extra time. There's some breathing room. You're part of the family. Uh, or you go to TAG Summer Camp, and the first night, we're bouncing giant beach balls around, and all of a sudden, the, the worship team up front also becomes like defense for all of the equipment, and there's like dodging beach balls left and right, right? It's just it's part of the family. It's messy, it's crazy, but it's awesome, and it's worth it. And, <clears throat> you know, it's easy, for, it's easy for the older generations to try to bring those younger generations in by educating them, But it's not enough. It's not enough to educate young people. You have to love them in the process, right? There's a lot of education that they get throughout their their life and, uh, and all that, but you have to love them through the process. Because in reality, both of those generations are shaping each other, right? The young generation, like Hayden was saying this morning, the young generation is shaping the older and the older is shaping the younger. And those young people have some of what we need to continue to be the church, right? They are the future of the church. They, they have the vitality, the energy, and, and passion, and the, those deeply held convictions, and the willingness to speak up and out, and, and that kind of thing for it. And, and as you get kind of older, life kind of like beats you up a little bit, and you tend to get a little bit quieter, until you see that, until you see them down here, jumping up and down, and ready to, to just do whatever it takes. One of the things I heard over and over, as uh, some of the volunteers and leaders were at camp, was just seeing like... Uh, You know, every time, like, I look out during worship, like, there's another student that's just, like, arms high, just totally abandoned to whatever it is that Jesus is doing right there. And we need that, right? That's one of the things that I love about hanging out with all these guys, all these middle school and high schoolers, is that it keeps me young on top of my baby face. (laughs) Um, And so those young people are searching for a community where they can be embraced and allowed to make mistakes along the way. Uh, you know, there's a, th- a theologian, Miroslav Wolf, Volf, uh, and he says that, he, he basically says that when you say we are the church, that doesn't mean we meet occasionally or that we cooperate in current projects, right? It's a coming together, right? That whole thing, we are the church, we are one body. And as we embrace younger and older generations, we become part of each other. Romans 12, 5, the Apostle Paul talks about it. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're not separate. It's not in an us and them. It's all of us in this together, right? My generation is from the time that I'm born to the time that I die, and so how do I bring people into that? How do I take care of people through the whole process? How do I fulfill God's purpose in that generation? And, and trying to become, like, a warm church in a community. Like I say, I feel like, I feel like One Chapel is great about this, it's just not by accident. We have to keep pushing. We have to be intentional with it. And it's not just about growing young. It's about good theology, right? It's like what's what Paul is saying. Like, we're all members of the same church. We're all here together. Now, uh, the thing of this is this is not just for young people, right? We're not just interested in saying, like, oh, the young people is, like, that's where it's at. Like, they're the most important and everything has to go to them. I could probably argue that they probably are the most important because they are the future of the church. But it's not all about them, Right? And so in a generation where that is a prevalent thing, a stereotype, like it's not just about them. And so we, they need to learn to honor the older brothers and sisters in Christ. They need to learn how to serve them. They need to learn how to learn from them because that's what a family does, right? When you're a baby, who teaches you to walk? Generally, it's your parents, right? As you start to like feed, you are born, you have to get fed, and then eventually you feed yourself, uh, at least most of us. And so, so it's just part of what a, a family does. So, so what does that look like? The responsibility of the older generation is to train, to encourage, and connect the next generation to the family story, right? The big picture. Here's what it is. I know like, when you're young and like, life seems like this big, there's like, this little bubble of everything you can see, and like, you're fired up. But they need older people to step in and to say, like, no, there's a big picture here. God is doing all of this across the landscape of his body, across the landscape of his kingdom, and here's how you can participate. Here's how you can take all that fire and that energy and that passion and put it to use for God's kingdom, and here's how you jump on board with that. And see, a lot of this generation, the younger generation, they're rootless because of divorce and a lack of involvement. Uh, They don't have any help to make important life decisions. Like, they're just kind of floating around out there, having to make decisions at younger and younger ages. Uh, And they don't don't know how to ask. It's not that they don't want to know answers most often. It's they don't know who or how to ask. And so what if we stepped in? What if we flipped that script? And what if we stepped in and said, hey, here's how you do this. I know you haven't asked yet, but when I was in high school, when I was in junior high, these were some things. I know it's getting younger and younger. And so here's how I handled this. What's going on in your world, right? What if we did that? What if we proactively stepped in and took care of that generation? Now, the responsibility of the younger generation is to use that older generation's wisdom to influence culture and to carry on the story, right? So it's not a, it's not a lack of, there's no lack of responsibility on the younger people in here, right? So middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults, like, this is you. Like, there's, there's, a, there's some purpose there. There's a weight there that you have to take that baton, and you've got to run with it. Like, all this story is there for a reason. Stand on their shoulders. There's, they made a lot of mistakes. Like, the older generation, a lot of them have learned a lot of things the hard way. And you can save them from that, right? You can stand on their shoulders. Uh, they have all these stories for a reason. And believe it or not, they're probably just as crazy as you. At least maybe they were at one time. Um, I, I won't name any names, but there was one, one person that was telling me, like, oh, yeah, like all these pranks that I played when I was in, like, junior high and high school at camp, like, we should do some of those. And I'm like, you're, like, 60 years old. Like, yes, let's do that. Right? Some of the youngest people I know have gray hair right? Because they're willing to jump in, because they're willing to be involved, and they're willing to realize that those generations are, are uniting points and not dividing lines, and how to bring young people into that and carry on the story. So, so as I wrap this up here, we've got, we've got a couple of options, right? We, we can bring people to the, uh, to the table and tell them who's in charge. We can say, yeah, you're welcome, but you have to do it this way, You have to follow the A, B, C outline, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can only do this at that time. We can do that, but what if we could do that in a way that just brings those strengths in and captures their imagination? What if we could do that in a way that embraces them, gives them opportunity or encourages them, Uh, a way that gives them a voice in the process, right? Because their generation is different, and so if it's different, we have to learn to adapt to that too and how to bring that on and how to help them carry on the story, Because that generation needs to understand the history and the heritage of faith, right? And that's something that is becoming more and more difficult. Even though there's more and more ways that we can communicate with each other, it's becoming more and more difficult uh, on how we do that, on how we pass that specific baton of faith. And so we've got to bring them in. The church has to be the place to do that. The other thing is creating this type of community, it pushes back against like, the, the consumer-driven and that hyper-individualized uh, thing that, that's happening in our society. Everything is about me. If, it, if I don't agree with it, if it doesn't serve me, then it's not worth it. Right? Then it, I'm not going to give it the time of day. And so with this type of community, everyone benefits right? The young benefit from the wisdom of the older. The young benefit from understanding what goes into life decisions and how to make them and how to recover from mistakes. And then the young benefit from, or sorry, then the older benefit by getting to pour in, right? There's like a new life. There's, there's more purpose. There's the ability for them to, to, well, I didn't make all these mistakes for nothing, and so now I can pour them in, right? Now I can share them. And the church needs that. The church needs grandmas to be at lunch with middle schoolers. The church needs people that have been around the block, people that have made mistakes, people that have, uh, have kind of been through the ringer for a bit of all ages, right? Young adults and, and grandparents and parents. Like, there's not a specific, a lot of people, I hear this a lot, a lot of people think, oh, I'm past that stage of life where I can invest in young people. Nope, you're not. In fact, I would probably argue that it's the opposite, that you're at the stage of life where you should be investing in young people so that they can learn those lessons from you and then they can pass those lessons on and they can pass those lessons on and it goes and goes and goes. So uh, if I could have the band come back up, Hayden, if you guys want to head this way. <clears throat> I want to ask kind of this, this last question, that what if one of the measures of the success of our church was our, has- our hospitality across generations? Not just the young people, but what if, what if we could challenge each other? Young people, what if we said, like, hey, why don't you ask a grandma out to lunch, right? What if we said, young people, why don't you proactively reach out and say, hey, I've never dealt with this before. I need somebody that probably has to help me find an answer to it. And then older generation, what if we w- reached out and said, like, hey, you guys need some of this. And not in a prideful way, but in a like, hey, I really want to save you from going down that road because I know where it ends. So what if we did that? What if one of those measures of success was our hospitality? What if we could invite everyone in? And like I say, we do it pretty good, but I think we can do it better. I think we can push a little bit harder. And so so here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. We're going to go back, and we're going to sing Tremble one more time. And I want, I want all the middle school and high schools and, and schoolers and tag leaders to come back up as we worship and I want to invite again anybody out here that wants to, to wants to worship alongside these guys to do so. I'm going to come back up after this song and we're going to pray and we're going to be done but I want to take this moment and I want to challenge. I want to extend that invitation of of yeah, I can do that. Like, I can stand next to, next to people and I can worship and I can deal with the craziness. And so as we worship today, I want you to as we kind of wrap up with this worship I want you to do that I want you to to realize that this heritage will continue and it's up to you to pass it on and so I want us to bring that I want us to show young people that we care that we're coming alongside them and that we love and appreciate what they're doing